Well, Christians have always been accused uh, of being uh, uh, hypocrites. These days, though, it seems to me, um, hardly a week goes by without another such accusation, a a sexual or a financial scandal, a hardline um, Christian campaigner, turns out to have feet of clay, a church protects a paedophile priest, the latest one, if you've seen it, the resignation of uh, the Archbishop of Warsaw because of his previous collaboration with communist authorities and every time a scandal comes out like that from uh, um, in the headlines the cry goes up hypocrisy Christians are surely hypocrites they preach one thing and they do another and Acts chapter 5 continues on that theme it reveals hypocrisy actually was a very real and serious danger for God's people right at the beginning. We saw last week the extraordinary birth of the church and now we see something much more sobering that God wants to uh, teach the church. Um, The end of Acts chapter 4, things still seem to be going swimmingly. In fact, they're deeply exciting. All the believers, verse 32 of chapter 4, were one in heart and mind. No one claimed they had any possessions of his own. They shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons amongst them. For from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. This is wonderful. This is exciting. This is, this is, this is church life at its, at its brightest and sharpest. But then disaster strikes. Ananias and Sapphira lie about their financial dealings. We saw that when uh, Ken uh, read it to us. And they are struck down by God. Um, Notice, by the way, the the church's first crisis is not about sex. Some people think um, that's the only sin that the Bible ever talks about. This is a crisis about money. God is as interested in our bank account as in our bedroom. Um, But uh, for Ananias and Sapphira, this is catastrophic. And they have clearly fallen into that much heralded sin of hypocrisy. That's what we need to think about uh, this morning. And uh, the first thing I want to say by way of introduction is not all Christian sin is hypocrisy. The New Testament always maintains a balanced tension when it's describing the Christian life. On the one hand, New Testament writers do call Christians to live a new life. And indeed they say very clearly, without a new life, we cannot call ourselves Christians. Um, uh, Richard's already um, alerted us to a key passage, which Dave, I think, is going to be uh, looking at with us um, uh, this evening in 1 John chapter 1. If anyone claims to be in the light um, and yet sins, they cannot claim 
to be a true Christian. Or at the end of 1 John, after he said it many, many times, he says in chapter 5, verse 18, anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The Bible is clear at that level. But actually alongside those statements, there are repeated statements that sin continues to trouble the lives of Christians. Christians must be reformed, they must be new. In fact, the general character of their life must be that they do not sin. But this side of eternity, Christians will not be perfect. Perfection will always elude us. John, at the beginning of chapter 2, of his letter says, I write this to you so that you will not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defence, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. In other words, he's saying, I'm right, the character of your life should be one that is not dominated by sin. But if and when you do, if and when sin does intrude into your life, as it will, then you have Jesus Christ. As we confess our sins, then uh, uh, Jesus Christ, who is risen and is at the right hand of God, will intercede for us, will remind God in one sense that he has died for our sins, that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, that all our sins, past, present and future, were placed on Jesus when Jesus died on the cross on that first Good Friday and now nothing can separate us from the love of God. Everywhere in the New Testament there is an acknowledgement of a painful reality that sin does continue to be an issue for people who are Christians. James chapter 5 verse 16 says, Confess your sins. Galatians chapter 6 verse 1 says, If anyone's caught in a sin, you should restore him gently. We need to see that actually sin will be part of Christian's life and not every sin is a hypocrisy. Suppose, imagine for a minute, a reformed alcoholic who is standing there, who occasionally has relapses. And he speaks to us powerfully about the damage that alcohol has done in his life and he calls other people to avoid abusing alcohol. Is he being a hypocrite? Because he knows he's not fully free of its clutches yet? Or is he speaking as one who knows more than most the dangers that he's speaking about? Suppose a person struggling with anger warns of its dangers or a person wrestling with self-pity or envy or gluttony or lust calls us passionately to avoid those vices. Is that person a hypocrite? No. We must see clearly that, um, frankly, as far as I can see, those detractors who, uh, who pin 
on every sin that Christians fall into, the label of hypocrisy, just do not understand what hypocrisy is. Now, there is plenty of hypocrisy around in God's church, but not everyone who speaks against something and then falls into that very sin is a hypocrite. Frankly, I could never, myself, speak against um, anger, for instance, if that was the case, because sometimes I am too angry. Perhaps you imagine a a Christian warning a friend against um, promiscuity, knowing that they wrestle with lust themselves. They are not a hypocrite. They are someone who is sincerely struggling with sin. Sin is serious. Grave sins, um, uh, particularly persistent sins, can bar us from leadership roles. All sin damages our relationship with God. But not all sin is hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is something different. Hypocrisy is claiming we are something we are not. And that's what Ananias and Sapphira fell into. Actually, it's particularly um, obvious in their case because actually the action itself that they did was not a sin at all. Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, we learn, he kept back part of the money for himself and brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. And Ananias was entirely free to behave as he saw fit when it came to his, uh, uh, his property. He had no compulsion to sell it, he had no compulsion to give all the proceeds of the sale to the apostles for them to distribute. Actually, what he does physically with his property and with his money is not a sin at all. The sin is that he wanted to appear to be more generous than he was. The great uh, 16th century theologian John Calvin said this, Luke condemns no other fault in Ananias than this, that he meant to deceive God and the church with a feigned offering, a pretended offering. And perhaps, frankly, Ananias thought it was nothing. After all, he's being generous, isn't he? Making himself significantly poorer in what he does. Why shouldn't he hold back some? And uh, perhaps because he envies this um, rising star, Barnabas, who has sold his whole property and given the whole proceeds to, uh, to, to the apostles, he doesn't see why he shouldn't uh, massage his image just a little bit. Perhaps he justified it that he had more financial responsibilities than uh, a Barnabas. Perhaps... Uh, Even um, uh, Barnabas had other wealth that he's not yet uh, distributed. But uh, whatever his justification, 
Luke is clear. He has deceived. He has made himself out to be someone he has not. And in doing that, he's not just pulled the wool over people's eyes, he clearly hopes to enhance his position in the church by this, but he thinks, you see, he can rise to the top in God's church and, and, uh, uh, and somehow pull the wool over God's eyes, as if God wasn't responsible for whom he raises up and whom he puts down in the church. God decides who is honoured, but Ananias hasn't even begun to think about that. He, uh, he has lied to God, as Peter says, and Peter is absolutely clear, you cannot blag it with God. God sees all. And that is hypocrisy. Not, you see, that we sin. Every single sincere believer will sin and will find themselves therefore doing what they do not want to do, doing what they know they should not do, doing what they at other times will find themselves speaking against. It is to pretend that we do not. It is to pretend that we are better than we are. That is the real problem. And we shouldn't shouldn't confuse that with discretion. As Christians, we're, we're not encouraged to parade our sins and weaknesses before the world. You, 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 don't, you don't know all the sins of the Christian person sitting next to you. You don't know all my sins and weaknesses for that matter. And actually, frankly, that is completely right and proper. Judy could give you a lot longer list of my sins than uh, perhaps uh, most of you know about if she chose to. And I thank God that she doesn't. It wouldn't actually help you anyway. It would be sort of indulging in a sort of um, opposite of a beauty contest, an ugly contest in which we parade our sins. And James chapter 3 verse 14 is very clear about that, what we should do with our sins. He says, don't boast about them or deny the truth. Don't parade them. There's, there's no particular help in, in laying out all the, uh, the, the dirty washing. But don't deny them either. Hypocrisy is claiming we are something we are not. I wonder whether that is you. I wonder whether even having sifted out the difference between hypocrisy and other sins that we have in our lives, whether you still know that you presently want to enjoy a reputation that we, which is far different from the private reality. Well, it is time to do something about it. Talk to a friend. Be more open about it. If you are a Christian here, God has forgiven you. In that sense, sin holds no fear for Christians. 
Because God has forgiven us. It is the denying of sin, the justifying of sin, the concealing of sin that does so much damage. Frankly, I for one would rather have a reputation of being a struggling sinner than uh, a lying hypocrite. And let me say to you this morning, very, very clear, I am a struggling sinner. I am, I am so grateful to you in the church, and the, especially the longer term members who've known me better and have had to endure me for longer, that you know me, you know my weaknesses, you love, you've loved me again and again, you've forgiven me as a fellow limited human being and a fellow sinner. I, I, frankly, I don't feel put on a pedestal in this church as actually a lot of my fellow ministers do. I've spoken to numbers of pastors who have told me that um, nobody even begins to guess the struggles that they have. Not because they have kept them totally secret but because the church just won't believe, doesn't want to believe. And the pastor too could be a struggling person and I'm very, very grateful. There doesn't need to be a lot of pretense around in here. Let that be the case for all of us. Hypocrisy is deeply dangerous. That is the next point that we've already alluded to but we need to uh, see clearly this morning. Look at what happens in verse 5. When Ananias heard this, heard Peter's description of his sin, that he had not lied to men but to God, when he heard this, he fell down and died. And then just hours after this, his wife, appears three hours later. His wife came, verse 7, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked me, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that's the price. Lying. Peter said to her, how could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door. They'll carry you out also. And she fell down at his feet and died. Now, let's be clear, God doesn't always deal with hypocrites in this way, as Andy's already said. Like the events of Acts 2, in which the, the, uh, the, 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 the church burst into life at Pentecost. This is a supercharged moment in the church's life. And the events are unusually dramatic. But this immediate judgment is recorded for us in Scripture as a reminder. God ju- does judge sin in that way. God does bring down hypocrites. Is this a sign that Ananias and Sapphira are eternally condemned? Lost forever? Uh, To be honest, we can't be absolutely sure. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul describes a similar judgment falling on the church in Corinth in which people had died. Uh, as a result of their sin, but he says they will not be condemned. So, uh, at the final judgment in eternity, it may just be possible that Ananias and Sapphira can uh, escape eternal condemnation. But we have to be clear, in Acts chapter 5, there is not a lot of encouragement in that way. 
unrepentant hypocrisy is deeply dangerous and it can expose that we were never Christians in the first place. That it was all a show. That we toddle along and belong to the church but there was never any real, sincere commitment to humbling following Jesus Christ. That's why church discipline is so, so important. Of course, we all stumble in many ways. The New Testament makes it plain that unrepentant, persistent pursuit of sin cannot be tolerated by God's church. The Bible says we are to warn people and if they will not listen, then we are to have nothing more to do with them. Because it is a very serious matter. Those who demonstrate they really do not want to follow Christ cannot be part of God's church. God will not allow it. The failure of churches to realise that leads to compromise and a deep damage to the whole church. But, dealing with hypocrisy brings great blessing. Verse 11. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events they suddenly realised that belonging to God's church is serious stuff. Verse 13, no one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. It's very popular today for people to say that church church growth depends on making the church as accessible as possible. Uh, And I have a lot of sympathy with that. There's no point in the the church living in the the dark ages and being completely... um, Uh, inaccessible. But accessibility has its limits, doesn't it? Didn't seem to be God's strategy to make the church in Jerusalem as accessible as possible to anybody just to, to, to come along. Rather, the opposite. He let it be known in a fearful and dramatic way that actually belonging to his church is an awesome thing. He discouraged people from flocking in without serious thought about that. And it was in that context that the church grew so explosively. Verse 14. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. Now let me say say to you, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus Christ this morning, you are extremely welcome to to be amongst us, to ask questions, to inquire for as long as you like. We try to make our, uh, our, our church life just transparently open in that sense. But please don't forget that it is an awesome thing to belong to the church of God. This is not just a religious club. This is not just a nice community. This is 
a gathering of people who bear God's name on the earth and he will not allow his name to be besmirched by hypocrisy. He would rather expose it than he would tolerate it. And let me say to to those of us here who are believers, perhaps you are struggling personally with sin. Well, let me say God will be infinitely patient with you as you come to him again and again. He will forgive you again and again. He has undertaken to do that. But don't let that struggle ever descend into hypocrisy. Don't let yourself justify your sins as if they did not exist. Don't let yourself sink into thinking, well, I'm as good as the next man, that sin doesn't work. Actually struggle with your sins, confess them, do not deny them, and you will be okay. Sin holds no great danger for the Christian as it is wrestled with, as it is struggled with, as it is confessed, as it is dealt with again and again. Denial of sin holds great dangers. And let me say to us as a church as well, God's um, blessing amongst us at the moment is, is really wonderful. I am very, very excited about it. New people are coming on. We've got new contacts who are interested in, uh, in Christ. We we are seeing a steady trickle of conversions. I don't think that is mainly because of our gifts or our skill or our worship style or our hard work or our program or the genius of the door of doorway or the wonder, wonder of our morning services. Now, apart from it being due to God's wonderful grace, it is because I see a reverent fear of God amongst us. I do see a real honesty, I do see a real humility, I do see a real sincere struggle with sin and long may it continue. As God's people here, we need to fear deeply the hypocrisy that denies sin. Because God could blow us apart very easily and very quickly. We need to be a people who humbly recognise that we are not yet complete. We desperately need God's forgiveness. And we must be on our knees every day. We must not try and pretend we are something we are not. But actually as we own up to who we are, God blesses us abundantly.